Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Qualified, the place where incredible people share their stories of overcoming great adversity and loss to inspire you and give you hope. I'm Michelle Heaton. In previous episodes of the podcast, we've talked about different types of loss and the grief that many people experience after losing something or someone they cherish in this life. And we've discussed cumulative grief, or grief overload, which is when someone experiences a second loss while still grieving the first loss, and how that can be an especially difficult road to walk. Well, my guest today has experienced a number of traumatic losses in his life. And not only has he managed to press on and keep a positive outlook in the aftermath of his cumulative grief, but he's also just written and published a book where he details the events that took place in his life. Broken and Redeemed is not just a journal of his experiences, but a testimony to the fact that if he can do it, so can you. His name is John Jarman, and in addition to being an author, he's also a United States Marine Corps veteran who served during Operation Desert Storm. He holds a master's degree in physical education from Ohio University, And for 17 years, John taught and coached high school football. He previously owned and operated his own fitness center, and he's now the fitness director at a prestigious golf club in Washington State. And he's currently enrolled in a master's program at Faith International University in pursuit of a master's degree in theology. Welcome to Qualified, John. Michelle, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Of course. Well, John, as I said before, you have had a lot of loss in your life. And in your book, you take the readers through a detailed timeline of these events. But one of the events that occurred in your life as a young boy was especially traumatizing. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in your life around the age of 12? My dad was an alcoholic, very abusive, and I don't really have much memory of my childhood up until age 12. So when I was 12, one of the things I remember is waking up, my mom was being, uh, you know, beaten up. And I went out, I went down to the kitchen, grabbed a knife out of the drawer and told my dad, if he didn't quit beating her, I'd kill him. And he left that night. And from that moment on, it was my three brothers and my mom, you know, trying to just survive whatever way we could. And so I grew up, you know, basically without a father. I did see my dad from time to time, but but it really wasn't that strong of a relationship until later when I was in the Marine Corps. Well, witnessing abuse between your father and mother is certainly no easy thing to talk about or to live through. So thank you for sharing it with us. You said that you started using drugs and alcohol at a very early age to mask the pain of your youth. And in your late teens, you felt like your life lacked direction. And so you decided to join the Marine Corps to get away from the negative environment that you were surrounded in back then. And then at the same time, you met and married your wife, Lynn. You had enrolled in college, and it seemed like your life was headed in a good direction. But then the marriage ended in divorce. Some more loss for you. Yeah, and, and with, without opening any wounds, Michelle, I just, you know, it was a transgression on my part. And, you know, me probably being too focused on my work rather than the marriage itself. You know, we didn't, Lynn and I never had any kids. So I probably became a workaholic. And that put a lot of strain on it. And then 
and I don't want to get into details. This is a very big transgression, and and it, that ended the marriage. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Divorce is never easy, and regardless of what actually contributed to the end of the marriage, I know you were still experiencing pain and loss when this occurred. But something interesting happened between you and your dad after all this time, and your relationship with him turned around. It got to the point where you were actually looking forward to his phone call every week. How did you go from where you were to this new place with him? The, the mending of the relationship started with, with a bit of a violence because I knocked on his door, and when he opened the door, I punched him in the mouth. I'm not saying that's the way you should mend a relationship, but that, at that time, you know, that's probably the only thing I understood. And my dad stood up, wiped the blood off his lips and said, I deserve that. Let's go have a beer and talk. And so we spent the next hours, I don't even know how many, talking about the things that I was told he wasn't doing and was doing and all this stuff as far as child support. And he showed me all these records and so it cleared things up. And then I came back and I confronted my mom with it too, because when the parents put the kids in the middle of their arguments, it's tougher on the kids. And that's one thing when I was coaching high school football, if I had a kid who had divorced parents, I would try to get them not to do that. I would tell them how bad it is for the kid. You don't want to say things about your spouse. You know, you had the kid together. You guys can't live together, but the kid's always yours. And so let's do what's right for the child. That, that's a tough part when that happens. And, you know, that's where a lot of my, I guess my bitterness came from. And it's just dealing with all that and trying to overcome that. Yeah, that's one of the saddest outcomes of divorce, in my opinion, is the impact on the children. And your early life and view of marriage was obviously tainted by what you saw modeled. So the fact that you were able to confront your father and hear him out and ultimately forgive him is a really big deal. And so over the course of the next 15 or so years, he's back in your life. You're talking on a regular basis and you are truly enjoying having your father back in your life. And then in 2003, he dies of a heart attack. How are you feeling now? Well, first it was shock, but having mended the relationship and having him there for, for as long as I did after that, you know, up until 2003, when he passed away. He would call me every Sunday morning. We had some great conversations and it was every week. And, you know, the hardest part was that, you know, probably a couple months after that with the phone call, when the phone didn't ring, you know, and, and it wasn't there. And, and that was, that was the toughest part. And I did, I, I truly enjoyed watching my dad. My stepmom had uh, two daughters and one of her daughters was a heroin addict and she was pregnant with a child and she died on the delivery room. And, and my dad and my stepmom raised that child. Till my dad passed away. And, and I really think my dad used that as a way to make amends for how he treated us because he treated, you know, watching him raise Josh was just an amazing thing. And I was, I'm glad I got, got to see that. Yeah. That's incredible that you were able to view their relationship in that way and recognize the ways that he might've been trying to right some of those past wrongs. Well, I'm sorry for the loss of your father and You've been through a lot up to this point in your life. And then your mother, who moves closer to you following your father's death, sadly, she passes away at this time. And then two of your three brothers also pass away within a short time frame. All of these losses must have been so painful for you. But then I read in your book where you say that at that time, your businesses are also failing as a result of the pandemic. And you had to make a hard decision to close the doors. How did you respond to all of these different losses happening in your life? 
When I moved back home, I noticed a self-destructive pattern start to happen. And I just, I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. And so I Googled counseling because I knew I needed to go see somebody. The, the best thing that happened to me is, as I found Christina Holland. And, you know, we worked together on and off for 10 years. And so I had her as a, as a huge support when I lost my mom and when I lost David and Steve. And then all through the next years and years and one visit, I walked out of her office. I sat down in my car and the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. And I went back into her office and I said, I'm not coming back. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you freed me. I'm over it all. And and she, you know, of course, she gave, stood up, gave me a hug and we, we both cried because it was just, it was that good. So to your listener, when you're grieving or you're going through a tough time, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. You're not the only one that's going through what you went through. Seek the counselors because they're, they're a godsend. I'm so glad you were able to connect with the right therapist and that you stuck it out with her for so many years until you got to the point where you finally felt free. She helped you process your childhood pain, your resentment of your father, your divorce, and then your father's death. At this point, you're feeling better and you're in a long-term relationship, more than four years. And then that relationship ends. Well, it was kind of a mutual separation and it was a tough situation. So we decided to part ways and we still remained friends. We we're in contact quite a bit. And it was just something that, that we both kind of felt that we needed to do. So around that same time when you were going through all of that, which was emotionally taxing, then the wife of your only living brother becomes seriously ill and dies. And your brother is struggling emotionally and he moves in with you. That was very tough because, you know, Jason was a recovering addict because him and Jessica were, were addicts. And, you know, my first thought was if Jason didn't move in with me, I would lose him within a couple of weeks. So I talked to him about that and it was going great. And then he relapsed and started using again. And it got to the point where I, you're on your own. And I just, I'd let him go because I couldn't deal with it any longer. I'd done as much as I could. And I had to accept the fact that I might lose him. Keeping him with me wasn't working. And so I had to let him go. So, and that was very tough. So, Well, my heart breaks for him, having been through a difficult childhood as well. And now on top of his addiction issues, he's grieving. And you're doing your best to hold things together for all of you. So, John, up to this point in your life, you've lost your father, your mother, and two of your three brothers. And you said... Your brother David's death was especially hard on you due to the circumstances. Because it was sudden. He was 52 years old, and he had a heart attack the day before my 49th birthday. And he was pronounced brain dead on my birthday, and then life support was pulled the next day. And so that, that to me, was probably the hardest loss. Um, the, the beauty of it, though, because there's, there's beauty in it. Is my brother he was a really patriotic person and he loved bald eagles. And three weeks after his service, I was at a golf course here in Washington playing golf and a bald eagle followed me around the back nine. And so when I play golf, I usually see a bald eagle. So that's the beauty of it because I know Dave's still with me. All of them are hard, but his loss was probably the hardest because it was just sudden. When no one knew and just boom, we get the phone call and it was, you know, so... So, John, you have experienced so many losses over the years, but you learned a lot of valuable life lessons having walked through it all. Your experiences as a young man taught you 
that children are so vulnerable and almost always adversely affected by the divorce of their parents. And you even work to share that message with the parents of your students. You learn that a marriage suffers when the focus on work and career is greater than the spouse and family. You know now that communication, even in the midst of anger and hurt, can serve as the catalyst for change, even in the worst relationship. You realize that the anger and bitterness you were carrying around were a direct result of what you had been through in your upbringing, and you were determined to see things turn around. You shared about the harsh impact of sudden death, but discovered the beauty that can be found in memories and special signs that assure us that our loved ones are okay. And through so much adversity, you also learn the value of setting boundaries, even with those we love. John, what other important life lessons can you share with us today that you learned from your losses? Well, the, the first thing I would say is what I learned is seek help. Don't be afraid to ask for help and know that you're not the only one that's going through this or gone through this. And when you find that person that you can work with, be humble and be vulnerable. That was something that Christine worked with me a long time on is becoming vulnerable. And when I got my first review of my book from an editor, it talked about my vulnerability as a male author. The vulnerability that you need when you're in counseling to let your guard down, to let your pride down. And I think that's harder for men. So the men in your audience, this is more directed to them, is it, let go of your pride, raise your hand and say, I need help. And then let the people have, be honest and be vulnerable because you'll get through it a lot quicker and it'll be, it'll be a little less painful. There's still going to be some pain, but it'll be a little less painful. So, but the thing about counseling is I would tell people if they've never been is that gives you a time to be unconditionally honest about how you feel. And that person's not going to judge you. That person's not going to condemn you. They're just going to talk to you and help you through those situations and give you some ideas and books to read that, that'll help you through the situation. And Christine was. She saved my life and, and she wrote the forward to the book. And so I just, I can't thank her enough. So the biggest lesson is go get help. Don't try to do it on your own. Yeah, well said. So in the intro, I said you were currently pursuing a master's degree in theology. Give us that background, especially since you were not raised with any kind of faith growing up and describe your life today. Well, I mean, I'm in the best place I've ever been in my life because of the work I did with Christina and then finding my spiritual mentor, Scotty Kessler, working for probably five years on prayer plans and that type of stuff. And just him discipling me and him teaching me how to pray and how to read the Bible and understand the Bible better. And and he's one of the reasons why I enrolled in seminary school because I wanted a deeper understanding of the work. And I didn't grow up in a church, like he said, my decision to join the Marine Corps, I was in a party on New Year's Eve. And, you know, drugs, alcohol. And I, I just looked around and I went, there's got to be more to life. This, I got up and I walked out the door. Two days later, I walked into a Marine recruiting office. Two months later, I was standing in San Diego. And, and yet my first exposure to church was at boot camp because the drone instructor said, you guys can go to church. And I was like, good. I get an hour vacation from you guys. I'm going to church. I think that was where the seed was planted though. And then as I got into coaching and started working with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, my faith deepened and it just continued to deepen. And like I said, when I met Scotty, it just, it became a fire hose. And I mean, I, I have a daily prayer 
Bible reading time every day. And and I've stayed with it since probably 2014. And it just, that's what I need to keep me where I'm at. And it keeps me grounded, keeps me humbled. And once I understood who I am in, in Christ, I stopped taking affection and, and acceptance from people in the world and that, because I know where that is and I know where it lies. And that was the game changer. And that's what made it a lot easier to let go of the past, to, to not condemn myself. And, and the biggest part of it is learning how to forgive yourself and then forgiving the people who hurt you. And then also asking the people that you hurt for forgiveness, because that's all part of your faith. And, and doing that is, is made me stronger and it's put me where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, you certainly modeled forgiveness with your dad. And given everything that you and your brothers endured for so many years growing up with abuse, that had to be very difficult. So now that you're on the other side of all of this, what would you say to someone who might still be in a situation like the one you were in back then? Get out. First thing is call the police and get out because it's not, it's not worth trying to save it. And I've always said that. That's my first advice to a woman that's being abused is get out. You're worth more than that. And you shouldn't be treated that way. That's great advice. And I know therapy, even though it did wonders for you, can cause us to have to go back and relive the past trauma. And that can be painful. What about the person who thinks they just can't go back there again emotionally? I would say still go because they're going to help you through that. They're going to walk you through that. Christine refilled to it as peeling the layers of an onion back. And as you get a little closer to the center, it gets a little smellier and smellier. But then when you're done, the odor's away and you're free. And so it's a time-consuming method. And it took me 10 years off and on to do that. And they're going to give you the strength and need to get through that. There's going to be, I mean, there's times when I walked out of counseling sessions and I was so mentally and emotionally drained that I wouldn't go back to work because I couldn't. And but I knew that that was part of the healing process. And so a lot of times when that happened, I would just, I would go get my golf club and I'd go play golf and I'd be by myself. And so I could still kind of process of what we went through. And I think a key to therapy is doing the homework that your therapist gives you and being honest with yourself when you're doing that. Again, your willingness to be vulnerable and to seek help was so critical to the success that you've had. So I just want to underscore that. And the last thing I want to mention is your book. Where can listeners learn more about you and get a copy of Broken and Redeemed? Well, they can visit my website, brokenandredeemed.com. It's available there. There's information about myself and the book, or they can visit any bookstore website. It's available August 16th was the publication date. So it's available. It's on Kindle and all forms of ebook. The Audible is not out yet. That'll be released probably somewhere in November, but they can find it anywhere. John, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, again, being vulnerable. I believe you're helping so many people by opening up your heart and sharing your deepest pain. So thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. Michelle, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. So for those of you listening, if you too have experienced unhealthy patterns in your life that you believe are related to early childhood pain, I encourage you to seek help. John's journey included so many more painful stops along the way before he arrived at that place of peace, but he stayed the course. So I just want to encourage you that there is hope. You're not alone in your pain. 
You may feel like you've tried it all and nothing seems to work, but don't give up. And one day, like John, you'll be able to help someone else by the lessons you learned from your loss. Thanks for listening.